Like many of you, I'm curious about several topics, and what better way to learn than to speak directly with the people who have the answers that you're looking for? My name is Costa. Welcome to Founder Views. That's what this channel is all about. You're going to hear me pick the brains of thought leaders, CEOs, politicians, and business experts about subjects that I'm thinking about or working on at any given time. From economics, business, real estate investing, Bitcoin, lifestyle, politics, and much, much more. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. So one of the main reasons why I reached out and wanted to, to speak with you, because you are a big proponent of Bitcoin and uh, crypto, from what I can see. Uh, there's a lot of, I wanted to ask you from a, like a legislative point of view, but uh, to kick it off, like why are you so favorable and invested in this asset class? I will say that um, I have been divesting in this asset class uh, over the over the past uh, while um, for multiple reasons, um, but I am still very much invested in the ideas and the ideas of crypto. And I've said this um, uh, on many other podcasts and interviews and and, and so on and so forth. Uh, the reason why I got into crypto or Bitcoin or a more kind of or a more inclusive or a different kind of finance was uh, not only personal, but professional. Um, and also you see th that there are needs for different things within society that are not there. And for one thing that I really always harp on is um, ID, digital ID, and how to control a digital, um, your digital ID in this whole digital space. And I think that we failed in that. And that means your data as well, right? So what, what does that mean? Um, and I got this explained perfectly and beautifully to me by somebody that was a guest on one of my shows. Uh, he said, think about our interpersonal relationships with you and, you know, different friends or families, right? You and your wife might have, you unlock permissions of your identity to different people. You know, if you meet your, your, a girl on from, from Tinder and you swipe right, she swipes right and you go out for, for a drink, uh, you, you start, you only tell her certain things or she tells you only certain things, right? Because you're only unlocking certain permissions. Mm-hmm. Once you get to know her more and you go out and next you know you're engaged, you're, you're, she's your wife, and you have kids and whatever, she knows way more about you than, say, the bartender, the person who's parking your car, or even maybe your, your certain family members, right? And that's because you keep unlocking permissions and giving to them. When do you get pissed off? You get pissed off with, with her or anybody that, that exploits your data. The data is the information of your, about yourself, your personal that you're giving them, is she goes out and tells her friends. You know, she tells the things that you're not supposed to tell your friends and like, hey, why did you tell this person, the thing that I told you in confidence, right? The thing is, we're seeing this a lot in, in, in the digital space, right? We thought 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when you got gave Facebook and logged into Facebook, that you're just logging in to post your pictures. You're, you're talking to your friends. It was a hub of connection. Later on, 10 years later, we find out that uh, our, this relationship that we had in Facebook uh, is selling your data. Is, is, is selling your data to not only data brokers, but to people to manipulate you, to target ads to you, to um, do different things with this data. I never gave them permission. I didn't know I was giving them that permission and nor did, nor did anybody else. And so we have this, and now more, than, more and more that we log in using our, say, our digital identity, using Apple, Google, Facebook, and so on and so forth, the ability for them to have a relationship that we didn't consent to is greater and greater, right? And, and so I think, so crypto, um, digital identity, um, blockchain identity, and those kind of permissions, a uh, way that you can hold, like say your private key of your who you are, 
um, is is very enticing to say, hey, is this a is this a solution for the average person to not get exploited by um, media marketing, social media, you know, digital advertising, and so on and so forth by allowing a more permission approach to this. And so that's only one aspect. Obviously, there's voting on the blockchain, which I think is a very uh, interesting idea for the auditability and the security. Um, and then there's the uh, sovereignty of money as well. You know, the idea that you can control something and something can be issued without uh, that, that it's not of a government, which is Bitcoin. And so um, which is and so those are the different things that I really enjoy about this. Now, if we're talking about just crypto and investing and making money into the moon, uh, that's never been my uh, whole um my whole ethos or, or approach to this. And yeah. obviously, you know, holding a little Bitcoin to make sure that, you know, and, and, and hoping number goes up is great. Uh, but, you know, I think that the applications that can make the world a better place and advocate for people in a different way, in a more inclusive way is why we're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I agree with a lot of that for sure. I, I think for me, I don't know if you, you same uh, for you, but when I, my, my uh, how I think about Bitcoin. So when I say for me, when I say like crypto and Bitcoin, like I don't really um, bucket Bitcoin in like that crypto space. Like to me, it's like Bitcoin and then like crypto. Like Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, but like I wouldn't group it with like Dogecoin and all this. Like just the properties are fundamentally different. But the way I um, the way I think about Bitcoin has really evolved over time. The more I know, the more I learn and stuff. But uh, do you do you feel the same with Bitcoin? Like I one thing I didn't know actually was um, just to digress a bit when I was uh, doing a bit of research on your website. Your your I guess every Congress candidate has to disclose their financials. Is that like a, a by law requirement? Yeah, that's by law. Okay, so I noticed like your your assets of uh, your holdings of Bitcoin is more than other assets. Is that still the case? Or why do you, you, uh, why do you, <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not in Congress. I don't have to, I don't have to disclose that anymore, uh, but let's say when I disclosed them in Congress, <laughs> uh, that, that whatever's on there is, is the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but look, I am still an advocate of, uh, of Bitcoin. It is a law that you have to disclose all of your, all of your assets, um, in, in, in the asset class. And, and I do agree with you, um, that, uh, Bitcoin is different than uh, the other cryptos. Uh, but, have I, you talked about the evolution. I, I think that we're seeing the evolution of the crypto space um, in the industry uh, play out in a, in a very distinctive manner. Um, that is showing that of all the vaporware and fluff and, and uh, kind of dubious product projects out there, uh, Bitcoin is actually staying away from the, the drama for the most part. And, and the drama is being caused by basically bad actors trying to do bad things uh, for bad reasons. And, and, and so I think that we're just seeing an evolution of the space. And we saw the evolution of the space from, from the last bull and into the, the other bear and who was washed out. Uh, we got a kind of a new kind of, um, a new kind of gold rush, if you will, of, of very savvy people of creating different um, pseudo financial products uh, come in and, and try to get rich. Um, and those are being washed out as well. And some will survive. Um, but I am very hopeful that this industry will continue to strive for, you know, a long time to come. Uh, but it goes back to my original statement. I hope that we continue to focus on the ethos of the good that can be done with this tech. 
If we're if we're not, then I don't know what we're doing. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, you, you mentioned you are divesting in, in the, from the crypto space. Um, uh, you and you said for for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, can you share any of those reasons in terms of why you're divesting? Um, I just don't think the market's uh, very stable right now, um, and I'd rather just hold cash. Uh, to be honest with you. And so it's not even just crypto, it's stocks, it's everything. It's, it's like, this is not the time to hold any asset, in my opinion. Um, I bought a new car a couple of years ago, and I don't even want that. I'm thinking about selling it just so I can have cash in my pocket. Um, because I think that there's going to be a lot of, you know, um, opportunity in the future that, you know, whoever has a little bit of uh, wiggle room will be able to um, capitalize off of. Yeah. And, 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 and in all fairness, in, in the crypto space, I also want to see who survives and also want to see um, how regulation is is passed down. We have not seen any kind of significant regulation from the U.S. government, um, nor even the Canadian government uh, yet. That makes a, a very cut and dry uh, way to do business. Yeah. Um, and when that is passed down, I think there's going to be a lot of shuffling around. I, I think that's going to go more toward the corporation aspects of it. And, and these blockchain ideas are going to be more like pseudo ideas. And it's going to be controlled by um, either new companies, the Coinbase's or uh, the Gemini um, sort of things, uh, maybe yeah. an ARC. Um, yeah. But I, but I also think like, you know, Bank of America and Chase and, uh, you know, yeah. Amazon and, and those companies are also going to be big, big players in it. And we're going to still call it crypto, but they're going to be a different, yeah. a different animal. Yeah. I think there definitely needs to be legislation, obviously. Um, I think it's still very much a wild, wild west of an industry, but do you have any read out of Washington in regards to the regulation and what the feds game plan is? <clears throat> Not, not as much as anybody else, you know, um, as you know, reading the news every day um, and reporting on it, I, I think that there are, it seems as though that they're purposely trying to make it opaque in order to either game the system or, or, or crush the system and just find enough excuses for, every, for everybody to rally up behind them and go, oh, this is reasonable reason to uh, really tightly regulate this, this industry. I don't know what regulation is warranted, especially after we see something like, um, you know, FTX. But at the end of the day, FTX US did exist, and uh, we don't know the the solvency of FTX US. FTX dot com and Alameda obviously uh, insolvent, stole a lot of people's money. Um, so I would like to see after all of this bankruptcy proceedings go through that we have a really good due diligence about how. FTX US operated within the current regulations. And if there are holes to be filled, what those holes are, and if they did operate properly in the current regulations, understand how to make sure that those regulations are enforced in a more in a better manner that protects US investors. Yeah. Also, maybe it insulates uh, the US um, entity FTX.US from international organizations and the transferring of funds to those international, I guess, parent companies. Yeah. Uh, so in Canada, uh, Bitcoin is considered a security. So for example, any sale of Bitcoin would be either like a capital gain or loss. So it makes it impossible, very impractical to use it in everyday life, which to a lot of people might be un unfortunate because, you know, in a lot of ways it is much more practical, more efficient, faster, uh, than fiat currency. And I know this firsthand operating a remote 
internet company sending money to different people in multiple countries, just like the barriers and uh, BS that you have to go through just to send money, um, I think is, is crazy. So what's your opinion on just the classification of Bitcoin? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I don't think that Bitcoin should have a single classification. I think that we need to evolve our understanding about these classifications as well. Um, I think that Bitcoin could have a multi-classified classification depending on how you use it and how it's used. Uh, for example, if you are holding Bitcoin, uh, legacy network or, um, you know, just on chain in a ledger wallet, I mean, maybe it is a security. Maybe it's a commodity. Uh, maybe it's just uh, a, a, just like gold. Maybe it is like, um, I don't know. Maybe it's like Tesla stock. It, it, and I don't know if it actually matters because once you sell it here in the U.S., uh, you're going to have a capital gains tax as well, right? So it doesn't matter. Um, but if you throw your Bitcoin on the Lightning Network and try to make payments for different uh, things, goods, and services, maybe it's, con it's considered more like cash, right? Um and, 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 and as long as you have the, you know, KYC, AML and uh, the you're playing by the rules of, of anti-money laundering and you're not financing terrorist groups, uh, maybe sending payments as that is a, you know, should be respected as, you know, this is money being transferred for, you know, certain reasons, doing business and so, so on and so forth. As long as businesses, you know, claim those transactions and those gains uh, or those receipts, um uh, to you know their your local authorities, and so I don't know if Bitcoin should be classified as one thing. Maybe in one aspect, maybe in a portfolio as a mutual fund, as a stock portfolio, as a retirement plan, it is it's one thing. Uh, maybe as again, like you said, you're running a business, and I'm using the Lightning Network to send payments all around the world in a very efficient, fast, cheap manner is another way. Do you see that happening where people are using Bitcoin to pay for everyday goods, just as they're using their <laughs> debit card and cash? Just like an option to use Bitcoin instead. Well, I think that you know, look, I, I started a I started a podcast many years ago in um in Taiwan, um, and uh, you know, one of the biggest thing, one of the, big, the best ways to pay for you know, just like a quick designer or something like that that comes from the Philippines was just to send them some Ethereum or some Bitcoin or some Litecoin or whatever coin that they wanted. Uh, international, right now we are connected to the to the world. We can't we can't deny that. And hopping on Fiverr or sending a tweet out to somebody and saying, hey, I need some design work. We find a good designer. They don't happen to be in your country or in your backyard or uh, on the same payment networks that your, your country provides. Kind of limits your, 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 your resource pool and, and allowing to um, you know, hire them or find you know, good collaborative people. Um, so I think that more and more people... Um, especially in our positions or our situations are finding people all across the world and networking with all these different people and finding crypto is the best way to say, Hey, uh, I, I would love to work with you. And this is the best option to ease the friction of us be having two different passports. Yeah, I agree. Should, should governments directly control and influence the money supply? Like, is that government's role? Should it be? I mean, I don't. I don't know if we say should they or should they not. Uh, I mean, they always have been and they always will. Will I mean they are. Well, I mean, uh, like so, not really. Like when they were in us backed by gold, for example. Like they didn't have the ability to just like print more gold. Like it was backed by gold. Now they, they have direct control to to you know quantitative easing, shut it down, increase interest rates. They have direct <clears throat> control. I mean, should they or should they not? I don't think that that's the real question. I think the question is, did, did 
can we make a system that doesn't allow for the temptation? Because if the temptation is there, then the temptation is always going to be there. For example, you take it back to uh, silver coins, you know, uh, from whatever country you want to say back in the day and the <laughs> reduction of silver in those coins and added in other, you know, nickel or, or what have you or making them lighter or less because they need to fund other things with those silver. That's always happened. Um, we had the gold standard, turned off the gold standard. Why? Because the temptation was there just to change the system. So I, I don't like the question or, or the idea of should they or should they not? Um, is there a system or a way to remove that temptation and create something that is not um, inflationary like it is? And, and I guess that's the, that's the Bitcoin experiment, right? And how is that going to work out in the next 20, 50, 100 centuries or so um, in, in, terms of, in terms of what Bitcoin looks like in a reserve currency or money in, in general? Uh, I think the, and the temptation is not there with Bitcoin. Yeah, and like, I think that's yeah. the that's the real that's exactly. the real. That's question. what I'm getting at. I mean, how, but like with the current system, like the fiat system, how is it possible to remove the temptation? Like, is it possible? I mean, unless you take Bitcoin, the Bitcoin standard, and, and Bitcoin back to a fiat or Bitcoin like the gold. That's standard. what I mean. But then you're no then longer again, in the fiat system. Like, it's a whole new. I mean, you are, but then you're just doing the gold standard and it's only a matter of time until the, the great cycle continues and that they take off the Bitcoin standard and they're printing money again. I mean, so what? So it's like, do you hold gold for the, through the centuries? I, could, I think gold is going to be there for the centuries, you know? And so you can hold gold. Is Bitcoin another, the digital form of that? I, I, so I, I don't think that if you have people creating a banking system to operate within the incentive of, or into operating with their incentives, that you're ever going to have a system that does not, change like that if bitcoin only stays those 21 million then that's an amazing thing we'll see how that plays out in hundreds of years if it's going to be around for that long um if it if it doesn't then um but i don't think that people are going to be able to to make that distinction of no we don't change this because uh, this, this, uh, the results aren't going to be good for us if you know what i'm saying yeah well a good experiment i guess el salvador right now i mean see how see how they it plays out in El Salvador. Is that Bitcoin's their official currency? Um, I have I have different opinions about El Salvador. I mean, there's still opaqueness. It's it's again tied to a person, tied to a government, and tied to the benevol the benevolence of them. Um, Bitcoin again, Bitcoin within a government system is still going to act like the government system. Bitcoin without and as a system itself is going to act like Bitcoin. But, well, I, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, it's like, how can a government control uh, Bitcoin? Like, if it's, if they're just operating <laughs> in Bitcoin, I mean, it's, everything's uh, uh, accessible on the chain, you can verify everything, you can't print more of it, remove any of it. Like, how, how is that possible? I mean, again, well, I guess it's a good experiment. You're right. Yeah. Let's see how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, a, a question I, you alluded to it, like... Um, I want to get into uh, CBDCs as well, but uh, sticking to Bitcoin for a sec, why do governments all over the world see Bitcoin as a threat? And I'll, I'll give some context to the question. Like, so if a government's objective and commitment is to do what's best for the people, and let's say Bitcoin accomplishes that in a lot of ways, uh, which it kind of does, like, doesn't that tell you that governments are more concerned about control rather than what's good? If they're just totally shutting off this new, um, you know, uh, 
philosophy in Bitcoin and this new thing that's in front of us that has so many amazing properties and they just immediately see it as a threat? Well, I mean, how could they not see it as a threat? I mean, governments are built off of their fiat system. I mean, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it is a threat. I understand why they see it as a threat. The U.S. dollar is the um, global reserve currency. Anything that is going to try to, and if it doesn't have to be just Bitcoin. It could be the, the, the pound or <laughs> the, the, the yuan or whatever. Um, you, you, you see it as a threat because they're talking about your own country's uh, financial stability. Um, Bitcoin, I think that it creates a different layer to that um, because uh, governments, one, also, yeah, want to control, want to control their, 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 their money, want to control their economies and make sure they want to have influence over the world using their money or their uh, military power, which then turns into money as well. So, um, I mean, the why is pretty simple. Um, I don't know if Bitcoin is actually a threat to governments, but I think that it is a way to circumvent. And I think they do know that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, CBDCs, what, what's your opinion on that? I know there's some experiments happening right now all over the world. I think in the U.S. as well, if I'm not mistaken. What's your what's your general opinion? Uh, I think CBDCs are inevitable. I think that they're probably the greatest threat to... Um, privacy and money in general, um, they're, they're, they have to be, and that's, I know that's, that's a, a contradictory statement that they're inevitable and yet it's still the greatest threat. Um, but I, 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 I do feel that they are inevitable. You're going to have programmable digital money in some shape or form. I hope that people stay vigilant to that, make sure that constitutional, um, U.S. constitutional protections are, you know, upheld when when and if if and when that is a cbdc is rolled out at least here in the united states uh but at the same time we are going to see a lot of things that are going to be very beneficial for the government but again very um uh infringing on privacy i think and also controlling uh with a cbdc and again it goes to the um opportunity to be able to use those tools if the opportunity and the incentive is there for a government to use those tools, they will, you know, and that's shutting off bank accounts, that's uh, taxation, um, uh, different taxation aspects. Um, you know, uh, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a tool that is going to be easily abused. Totally agree with every word you say. I think, yeah, I agree. I think that's the greatest threat to, to just freedom in general. Um, and back to what you said about temptation, like this is, you know, this gives government, you know, I think we've seen throughout history, like you give government an inch, like they'll take a mile and like you're giving them everything to control, um, you know, to have oversight essentially into every single dollar you spend, um, I think is, is pretty scary. So especially what we've seen in Canada last year with the Freedom Convoy, I don't know if you've been paying it, you paid much attention to that, but how just every hundreds of everyday citizens without any charges or even like accusations had their accounts frozen um, right. for essentially no reason. So that's a, that's a pretty dangerous precedent. Um, so yeah, I, I, one thing I would say though about the, the Americans and w w something I really appreciate about American people in the culture is how much um, Americans value freedoms and rights. And because of that, like I, what you said about it being inevitable, I think it is inevitable in a lot of places like Canada, for example, but 
I don't know if it is inevitable in the U.S. because you guys have something different that you really value these these freedoms and rights. And like, do you think the people would would allow this to happen? I I I think that if the people were tuned in on to to it, uh, they wouldn't allow it to happen. Um, I'm afraid that a CBDC in the United States will be rolled out without our knowledge for the most part or a way to consolidate debt or a way to couldn't declare like bankruptcy. We have a lot of debt, you know, I don't know, just a way to just like restart everything. Um, and so, yeah, I think that if the people had the information and understood the downstream effects or the pro- possible implications of having a CD- CBDC, I think there would be a lot of concern. And I don't know if it would be rolled out as smoothly. I, I just don't think that that's the, the, the game plan. I think that right now we, I haven't used a, a cash in, I haven't used cash in, 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 in I, I think maybe almost two years, man, yeah. to be honest with you. It's, it's all been Apple Pay. And if that turned into a CBDC overnight and I didn't know it, um, and now we have programmable money running around, I wouldn't even notice the change until, you know, things really started happening. Uh, so, <clears throat> and, and so I, 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 I just don't think that this is going to um, be a very telegraphed move or change. But I do think that you're right, that the American people are would be very, very upset by the possibilities of a CBDC. Yeah, totally agree. How do you see the rollout happening? You said it's inevitable. Like, how do you see that? Happen? I know you mentioned like without knowledge, but like any specifics on how you see the rollout happening? Oh, man, you, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I would, I would say that it would have to be maybe some kind of unified collective, like, uh, you know, you know those kind of things. Like, it's all about efficiency, efficiencies, right? And so, right now, we have a lot of middlemen. We have obviously the visas, the Mastercard. You know, we have Apple there as well. Now we have you know Google Pay. You know, all these different aspects, PayPal, Venmo, and all these people are using these you know proprietary services, proprietary you know different networks and services, and and paying different fees. I mean, just a, an efficiency bill, maybe from uh, the legislators or even the Fed. You know, comes out and says, hey. Let's consolidate all of this and make this more efficient to save money and have more. And we can just talk it better efficiency equals cheaper stuff for everybody equals, you know, greater output equals more money to spend for uh, consumption. Um, um, and then it just turns into a, a cost saving, you know, efficiency program. Next, thing you know, we have a unified, let's call it network that we call it network. We'll call it CBDC, a new unified network, which sounds great, you know. And then one day we find out that, you know, hey, because we have this unified network, uh, the government can tax, the IRS can tax right at purchases, right? Right right when it, right when everything's purchased. So you're taking your sales tax, it's going into an account in, I'm in Ohio, so it's in Columbus, right? And so they're taking your sales tax right there. And, and all these little pieces of these different taxes are being just taken at, for, at purchase, you know, without Visa, MasterCard, or big accounting fees, and so on and so forth. You're saving a hell of a lot of money a hell of a time and you have a lot of money in your account ASAP. Um, the government does the same thing to your, you know, um, your paycheck, you know, you get a paycheck, teaching it's going straight to the IRS, you know, um, it's all consolidated, you're getting everything digital. And so everything looks like it's working a lot more efficiency, efficiently, you know, and then we just, you know, start to find out that, you know, monitoring this, this on-chain business, um, these transactions are being funneled because of data and, you know, Visa and MasterCard already, already take your data, but now it's more of a, unified consolidated uh, system that is under say i don't know banks bank of america chase the fed and so on and so forth and so 
I, again, I think it's just going to be an evolution of, of money in the process. We live in the digital right now. And so what's going to be the change? What, are we going to even notice? I think we're only going to notice when we start you know, seeing policies come out that make the transactions different um, and just like fundamentally change like how the government inter- interacts with money. It, it, yeah. The people's money yeah. and those transactions, those interpersonal transactions. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't know if it was a bill or a piece of legislation where, uh, where everything over in the U.S. every anything over six, any transaction over six hundred dollars had to be reported to the IRS. Did that get scrapped? From what I saw, or what, was it was it a. Uh, uh... Transactions over or a cumulative transactions of up to six hundred dollars and over. Uh, I'm not sure. It could be could be either or. From what I understood, it was like any transaction over six hundred, but I could be wrong. I I I, I thought it was a, a cumulative of up to six hundred dollars of transactions. So if I send you twenty bucks, then I send you thirty, and then I send you you know up to six hundred, then I have to report that I sent okay. you over six hundred dollars. Oh, okay. Or and you have to report that you have you received over six hundred dollars mm-hmm. from me. And that's for goods or services, I think. Okay. Anyway, long story. Long story short is, again, that's what the beauty of cash. And look, I, <laughs> I don't like it. It gives me a bad taste in my mouth. But at the same time, uh, you have to. I do understand why the government does it. You know, it's like, hey, how how do we collect more tax revenue? That's what they're saying. You know, and so. Hence, if you don't like it, use cash. <laughs> it's a tough balancing act. Like, yeah, you're right. How do you collect more tax revenue? But at the same time, how do you uphold people's privacy and, and, and freedoms? Right? Like, why does the government have to know every dollar I spend over 600? Like, is that necessary? Right. I mean, again, I, I, again, the rules are probably there somewhere. It's like, you know, if you were operating in a flea market, right, and you were doing everything for cash, and every, every week and you sold a thousand dollars worth of goods, you're supposed to claim that as an income, you know, uh, you might not get taxed on it up to at least in America here. I think it was, it was like 12,000 some odd dollars or 13,000 some odd dollars until you start actually paying, you know, income taxes, but you're supposed to claim it. Right. And so not claiming it doesn't mean that you're, doesn't mean that it's still not claiming it is not the answer either. You know, so is the government trying to, the government is trying to, get taxes from things that aren't being reported that are already reported. My problem is, is, is of course that they're trying to tax the, the little person, $600, you know, seriously, you're coming yeah. after my 600 bucks. You're trying to make me claim my 600 bucks, you know, for whatever. I think that's complete bullshit. You know, they keep coming after the middle class, the middle person, the people that are just working their ass off trying yeah. to get ahead, you know, and pay their, pay their bills. So that's the part that pisses me off. Um, but you know, the government doing the government thing isn't the, the thing that pisses me off. The, again, it's like, how do you maintain? And again, it's always up to the people. How do you maintain that privacy, that that sovereignty of money? Again, that goes to the experiment of Bitcoin. How is Bitcoin going to play into this inevitability of government control, taxation, um, monitoring, re, you know, receiving your data, and you know, trying to squeeze every last bit out of you? And can Bitcoin be an alternative to that? And a little fight against, a little push back against, you know, this 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 power struggle that's happening for sure uh do you think there's any correlation between this like what seems like this increase in desire increased desire and in control by governments by like you know creeping in closer six hundred dollars today tomorrow might be a hundred dollars and like increasing tax revenue the correlation with that that creep of control with just this this continued debt spiral that they're in which is totally unsustainable (laughs) 100 percent man I mean, as you know, the 
what the IRS is hiring another what is it eighty six or eighty seven thousand IRS agents. I mean, uh, they're 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 coming after us. They're, not, they're coming after the, the little guys. You know, they're coming after uh, the the middle class. You know, to try to make sure that we squeeze them for whatever they have. You know, so. And, and yeah, there is this correlation between the debt spiral. They're 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 broke. That, they need to find. That's like to me, like that's like back to full circle. Like at the core of it all is a system. Like it's an unsustainable system that I don't think has ever worked in history. Like you're never going to get out of that debt. So the only solution government has now is to just like increase the level of control and like just you know get every single dollar you possibly can from every person and. Uh, that eliminates rights. Like, you know, what, what else, what other solution do they have? I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, and that's just a t- typical government solution. They overspend and then they try to figure out where the money is going to come from. Uh, and and the, the, then they figure out like how to squeeze or where can we squeeze more taxes out of the individual? Look, um, over here in uh, Cleveland, we have something, I don't know if it's all the state of Ohio, but Cleveland, we have something called the, the sin tax. And so they tax different things that, uh, different, like they, they tax your cigarettes or cigars or alcohol, or whatever. And a piece of that go went to build the stadium, right? And so basically, our, our, our you know our football stadium uh, was built off of the addiction of of people, right? And but they, the government was came in and the people came in and said, "Huh, I wonder how I can get money to build something I really want," right? They said, "Okay, we'll do it, but we'll figure it out." And so we they taxed this whole group of individuals, right? And I always thought that was wrong because somebody who's a smoker now has to pay an extra tax for being addicted to something that he was sold to and marketed as. And now that's going to pay for the stadium. Totally uncool. That, by the way, the smoker was not even allowed to smoke in, which I thought was a, a little ironic. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just financial responsibility. Overspending, then trying to find tax ways to tax people. And, and again, it's this cycle, this spiral that is only going to make uh, – um, People who have money are going to be just fine. People without money are going to be not not as fine, and you create this bigger divide, which is going to create and lead to you know more uh, unrest and unhappiness, and um, probably uh, protests, and, and and then it will spiral to different uh, parts of the evolutionary cycle. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very concerning to me. I mean, I, th- I think it should be to to anyone, um, you know, especially me. Like I, I growing up in Canada and US, like very similar in terms of cultures and, and, you know, this, the Western values and all these rights and freedoms that we have. I think uh, freedoms in general are something uh, most people living where we live to take for granted, right? You never have to think about that. Up until recently, I think more people are starting to see um, how that's, that's a right that, that can be taken away and the governments have shown how they can do that. So I think this is just a very concerning, uh, should be something very concerning to everyone. Um, w- w- kind of related, but like, w- why do you think there's so much division in in the U.S., colleague? Same same in Canada. I think I can speak for, for both countries where like, I can't remember a time where there's the country has been more divided than it is right now in, in, in every aspect, like social politics, like. Why do you think that is? Oh, man, cause I, I think it's engineered. You know, it's just, you know, you want to create. The, the easier it is to create a, a side, no matter what that side is, um, you, you, you create engagement and and clicks and the incentive systems want to create that division. So it's easy to market to this side or that side or these other, you know, and so on and so forth. 
And so I think it's just, uh, you know, uh, an evolution of one, our lack of media choices, at least here in, Amer in America, um, the caring about different things that are, are too macro instead of more local. Uh, I think that would create a less division is if you get more local. Um, and, and, and anyway, I just, I, I think it's just a very purposeful system because the more you can put people into categories and divide them and they start, you know, acting in reacting to said categories, the more you can target them, market them, get them to click, get them to buy, get them to engage. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dangerous stuff, I think. And, and so you, uh, I should have asked this before, but you ran as a Democrat, right? Yes, sir. Okay. And I think that's like, you know, that the division too now with like blue and red, it's like, you, you, you know, you can't even, it's like, you can't even speak to someone who's not on the same side as you without, uh, you know, fighting or having these like crazy disagreements, you know? Well, it's also, you know, within your own, <clears throat> look, the, uh, the Republican party right now is trying to pick a speaker of the house. And I don't know because we've been on this call for about an hour. I don't know if it, it worked out yet, but they're divided as well. They can't find, they can't pick a speaker. And so when you're in these in different silos, you either, you either walk the walk and talk the talk, or you are, um, also, you know, um, criticized by that own silo as well. We see it in the Republican Party. We see it in the Democratic Party as well. It's like you got to fall in line. And, and that's just because, you know, you, you create this value system without conversation, without, um, without you know, critical, cr critical, you know, conversation between your peers about certain topics and wavering from what is established knowledge within one, you know, uh, silo uh, and, and trying to understand what another silo is, is talking about it is not is looked down upon now and it's very easy to feel that you're in the right because you of how uh, social media allows people to gang up on you you know so for example you know you say you know x y or z or you say i'm inquisitive about x y or z that's not you know part of my you know parties or or silo thinking um and you can get ganged up on by thousands of people on social media you know yeah. so which which is which is a shame, but yeah, man. I, I think that the more going back to your question about you know what I learned about running for office as well is is local advocacy is super important, and so the places where I see that there's more diversity in thought, more diversity in um, in in interactions, more you know cross the aisle collaborations, more um, you know just people that understand other understand each other in the community better is when you had two strong or multiple strong political groups within one city. You had a strong Democrat club. You had a strong Republican club. You had a strong progressive club and you had a small, strong conservative. You had, you know, different um, ones in the middle or, you know, or, you know, ones that played off of each other that all had a group together that always cross pollinated and collaborated within that city. And you had, and within those cities, you had very robust, uh, political um uh movements you had a lot of good conversation you had a lot of active people you had a lot of people that feel content about their politics and their elected officials and so um again uh the, the more diversity within that conversation thought and people being politically active uh kind of kind of smoothed out some of those tensions uh yeah. that you might see in some place where it's totally one way yeah. or totally the other way or there is a dominance yeah or a bias yeah for sure and i think another thing too back, back to like division you have these i think the average person has like perceptions of what a democrat 
Democrat or Republican should be like or how, what they think or what they talk about. And these obviously these perceptions are created by the media, clearly. But like it's funny after like speaking to you today, um, if someone who doesn't know you, who who listens to you, I don't think they would know like whether you're a Democrat or Republican. I if it if I were to guess, I think more people would think you're you're probably like a Republican because like you clearly value like these like freedoms and like you see how governments are are infringing on a lot of these rights and that's kind of counter narrative to what the media tells you. If that makes sense. <laughs> I, 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 I first I thank you that you said that. Um, <laughs> I, I've gotten that quite a bit. Maybe um, look, I. I I had a good lunch with uh, Andrew Yang. Um, Andrew Yang is starting the Forward Party, and, and we met. We had lunch down in Florida, and and the thing that I really liked about Andrew is, is when we had lunch, we spoke really for about a good hour, hour and a half, and we were just talking about solutions. Like, he, he, and we were like, you know, we have this problem exists. What he, and he asked me, he's like, what do you think we should do? And I said, well, I don't know. I was maybe about this. And he came back and he said, well, what about this? And I said, no, but what about this? And it was a very collaborative, solution focused conversation without saying that this is what somebody thought. And, and that's what I really respect is the idea to bounce ideas around and, and see what sticks and see what works the best. And if, you're, if your solutions and incentives align to create, I mean, if your solutions are for the greater good and you find out which incentives great, you know, go forward to that greater good, I don't know if they actually have a color or, a, or a, a, a political leaning on them. It's just what we think is the greater good. Yeah. One, thing that, one thing I would say, though, is that's forgotten about in the United States and, and it is the idea of life, liberty in the pursuit of happiness. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, a talking point for a U.S. citizen, but I think that it should, and it, I, hopefully it does resonate for every um, individual around the world. And what the, the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness means. And so what, what makes me a Democrat is I wholeheartedly believe that the pursuit of, of of happiness through liberty is is fundamental, right? Is fundamental, and that means to pursue your religion. That means to pursue uh, pursue your the happiness within your sexuality. Pursue the happiness within your job, in your in your physical being. You know, if you want to be healthy, uh, if if you want to be unhealthy, <laughs> you know, this yeah. is your. How do you pursue happiness within the one life you're given? And if and I think that. Once we start trying to regulate that, we have lost the idea of what it means to be um, a free country yeah. and to you know, uphold those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and, so, and so there are a lot of conversations about you know, different things that say, hey, this is, should be one way because of religious purposes, or this is one way because of traditional families, or this is one way because of, you know, you add those in there. And I don't think that those should even matter. Now, when we're talking about financial or economic or, or what, what have you, uh, those things I think that are, are pretty quantifiable. And I think if we're looking from a certain lens or maybe if we're, if we're looking at this, um, I guess, uh, you know, objectively, uh, those things are pretty also uh, clear. And so if you say, oh, you sound like a Republican, uh, it, 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 I, I think that for me, at least, those that direction of how we create a you know financial stability and fiscal responsibility, and we don't go broke as a nation, and we incentivize people to do, to to pursue life, liberty, liberty, and happiness, um, are pretty straightforward to me. You know, yeah. so 
and so that's where the mix comes in. So if somebody said, hey, oh, you sound like a Republican, I would say yes, but uh, there's all this other aspect as well. And if somebody says I sound like a Democrat, I would say yes, listen to our, listen to our conversation. And so anyway, I, I do think that, that those two are important. I think there is a happy middle uh, yeah. between those two. And that's why I don't understand the division myself. That, that's true. It's like, but like, why, why should it be a bad thing that you sound like a Democrat or a Republican? It's like an idea is an idea, whether it's, you know, considered to be Republican or Democrat. It's, it's you know, why does that matter? And I think that's, that's a big thing now. It's like, you can have this great idea and like you're speaking, let's say you're a Democrat, you're speaking to another Democrat with this great idea but then you tell them at the end, like, this is actually a Republican idea. Like, the average person is probably going to, like, think about ways that why it's wrong, you know, just because it's, exactly. it's not exactly. that idea is not on their team. Exactly. It's, a, it's been branded in a certain way, in a certain it's, light. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and that's and I do. And that is a problem of being a Democrat or Republican. That's something that when I was running for office, I've always tried to fight against because of, you know, when you take out half of the population, let's just say half the population is Republican. That or have the population is Democrat too. You 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 take out half of those ideas, half of those cre that creativity, half of those just because you label them a certain brand, right? And 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 that's unfortunate for building you know building solutions of that we and, and to real problems that we all face here on the ground. So yeah, I, I mean, I totally I totally agree with you, and it, and it's really sad that once you say you are a D, and how many times have I walked into a room just because I have that D in front of my name? Uh, a lot of ours wouldn't listen to me, and the same time, and, and the same, and the same thing, you know, just it, because my opponent had an R in front of their, his name, <laughs> a lot of D's wouldn't listen to him either, you know. So uh, it, it, it is a two way street, and it, it is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, Matthew, look, I, I don't want to take up more of your time. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. This was, uh, I learned a lot. This was very insightful. I think anyone listening would, would, would uh, say the same. So I really appreciate the time. Absolutely, sir. Thank you for having me, man. It was a good conversation. And uh, welcome. I'm happy to come back anytime. For sure. I love that. And if someone wanted to, to reach out, stay connected with you, where's the best place they could do that? Yeah, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, Matthew at DiemerForCongress.com. That's at D-I-E-M-E-R for Congress.com. Awesome. Matthew, thanks again. We should definitely do this again. And uh, best of luck and keep up the, the great work. All right, brother. Thank you. All right.